This is Greg Garibar welcoming you to part two of this week's fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara, thanking you for rejoining us and our guest, master animator Dave Pruxma, who supervised the animation of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Here's Dave now. With Angela Lansbury on Potts, let's say, she came in and did the song, and then she came in and we showed her my animation, and she saw what we were doing with it, and I remember her going, Oh, mm. now I understand it. It's not just illustrated radio, like you said. It's an actual interpretation of a performance. Mm-hmm. Not that it wasn't great to begin with, but it immediately got more real. You know, if she had to go, like she was being hugged or something like that, she'd stand in the booth and go, <laughs> yes, something like that. She made it believable. Yeah. And that, I think, is what's really important in animation. You get a good voice track, and then you can run with it. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody in animation, especially Disney animation, takes it and makes it better. Yeah, voice you know? actors uh, are very, very animated themselves. They don't just stand there. They move. They gesticulate, as they said in Kismet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And it's wonderful to watch them. Now, a lot of people said um, Mrs. Potts looks like Angela Lindsberry. Angela looks like Mrs. Potts. And that's not really true. If you put them side by side, there's really not any comparison between the two because I didn't actually caricature uh, Angela for Mrs. Potts. But she acts like Angela Lindsberry mm-hmm. because Angela was all over them. I watched every movie she ever made and I watched the nuances of the performance and especially her show Murder, She Wrote. Where mm-hmm. In TV, there's a talking head. She's doing this all the time. And she's always talking her head, and she's always articulating her dialogue very quickly in staccato. And I, I said, well, this is perfect. I have this pedestal, and I can do those head tilts, and I can do those little nods and stuff like that. And it made the voice mesh with the animation so that it doesn't look like someone's talking for a cartoon character. It's that the character's actually speaking, the tonal quality and the voice is drawn in the mouth shapes and whatnot. Yeah, Angela Lansbury was one of those great actors who knew how to use their well their bodies and the facial expressions with nuance but also she could use her whole head and we would always watch murder she wrote and say you can't keep your eyes off her even when she's doing an over the shoulder scene because she's moving her head she's acting with the back of her head she's larger than life she really is she brings so much to the performances all of her performances even the meager ones are fantastic yeah, sometimes she's hardly in something, and she's one of the most memorable people in the movie. That's important to get to know the performance style. I think Nick did that to a certain extent. With, well, Nick and Will. The Cogsworth has a lot of his voice in it. Oh, David Ogden um, Stiers, yeah, yeah. David Ogden Stiers, yeah. And, and uh, Lumiere, of course, has a lot of... Of Gary Orbach, movie. yeah. Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. It makes those characters so much more real. Mm-hmm. But Hannah Barbera did it to some extent with Flintstones. Oh, I don't yeah. Know why, but the voices just seemed to work so well with those characters. And they didn't fall back on like the, the people they'd been using. They actually brought in people that they thought would be good. They tried June Foray, and that didn't quite work for them. So they brought in Benaderet, and that worked and worked very well. Gene Vanderpile had done a few voices for them on Quick Draw McGraw, I think, but not much. Before that, the female voices were all done by Dawes or. or uh, Julie Bennett a little bit. Julie Bennett to, yeah. to an extent, yes, sure. Yeah. Gene Manipal brought a warmth to that character and a smartness. In the first few episodes, she's trying to be out. She said that. Later on, she, yeah. But it's amazing the way they got that natural rhythm right from the very first episode. Yeah, it really is ensemble acting, and, and there's so many examples to be given. And Gene Vanderpile, 
you probably know this, in the scene where Pebbles was born, she had just given birth to her son. And yeah. so there was a reality in that sequence because she was doing what actors do. She was focusing on that. And so that was a personal life experience. Yeah. yeah. And when they were casting Pebbles, she said, I don't usually speak up, but I want to be Pebbles. That's my, that's mine. And even yes. on the record album, you know, minor role for her to be Pebbles on the uh, Goldie Rocks album, but she played Pebbles. That was hers. Yeah. B. Benadaret, goodness, I mean, she was kind of like Trixie or Vivian Vance. It's a thankless job, usually. They're the one you have to have exposition for. Oh, you better not do that. Or what did Fred do now? Or something like that. Yes. She brought so much more to it that as capable as some of the ones who followed, it was a tough act to follow. I think B.J. Ward was good in the 90s because she could sing as well. She was very good. But it was a tough... The Betty role seemed so simple. There's nothing you can grab onto with Betty. Yeah. B did such a great job. There's a couple of things where she delivers a line which makes it so funny. In the Circus Horse Hunter, when they try to get the trailer out of the garage and it's dragging the garage with the trailer in it mm-hmm. behind, and they don't show her. They just have a voiceover saying, it's always nice to take a little bit of home wherever you go. <laughs> yeah. I laughed so hard at that when I was a kid. I thought it was the funniest line. And there's another one in the Frederick one, you know, the split personality where... Uh, she goes, oh, listen to that. You know, Fred's doing opera. And she says, oh, listen to that. Some, some yeah, animals the are stuck in the carpet. <laughs> oh, that's not a top pit. That's Fred. That's <laughs> the carpet. Oh, that's not a top pit. That's Fred. Oh, they got to put a fence around here. <laughs> yes, she had some great asides. She was not just left as an exposition person or, you know, it's like a, a person that came in and just said a line and left. She was a very active part of that. And what Alan Reed gave to television and to animation, according to his biography, was that when he was auditioning for Fred, he said, I would like to see Fred done in a more naturalistic voice and not a cartoony voice. And they were dubious about it. Then they brought him back in and cast him. And he was right, because even though they're playing cartoon type characters... The way they speak is just kind of like the Bob's Burgers model and the Family Guy model and the Simpsons model. Mm. Primetime sitcom, you have to stay closer to a natural voice. Yes, otherwise it gets cloying. I remember working on a chipmunk adventure, and oh my God, those voices were graded on me so bad. It sped up uh, Alvin Simon and Theodore. Oh my God, I couldn't stand it. I like chipmunk adventure a lot, but when Dodie Goodman is the more subtle voice... Yeah, we had Henry Corden come in and do a, a character. It didn't end up in the film, but there was a Cossack when they were in Russia. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I, I still have the animation somewhere. Yeah, it didn't end up in the film. They had to cut the film a lot. The people who worked on it, you know, Ron Diaz was, it's a gorgeous film. It just has some lush quality to it. And the song, the music is nice. The music's quite nice. Some of the songs are fun. I thought the My Mother song, I directed that sequence. I thought that one was really sweet. You know, oh, yeah. It, it had some depth to it. And I did a lot of the scenes in that, so I gave it some real acting, you know. Well, Janice Carmen is a very good singer. And in the, yes. first, the first special that they did that Chuck Jones worked on, The, the uh-huh. Silent Night at the End, it's a beautiful rendition. Let's talk about your Hanna-Barbera days. Okay. Well, I started at CalArts in 1980. I went to Brooklyn to Pratt Institute in 1976 and 77. And then I wasn't getting what I wanted animation training-wise. And there weren't a lot of animation schools back then. It wasn't really a a viable career Mm -hmm. back then. They had CalArts, which had just started, and, and Pratt, and a couple of other little ones here and there, but mostly in Hollywood. 
So I lived on the East Coast. So I went to Brooklyn and I had two years there. And the teachers finally said, Dave, you know as much about animation as we do. The hub of animation is in California, not here. You need to go to CalArts. So I left that school and I applied at CalArts and I got to CalArts and I got in. And uh, it was really a great school, a really great place to learn. And we learned, I was with great people and we were all working to help each other. You know, I'm still friends with almost everyone I went to school with. TV work was cyclical back then. You do six months of very hard work and six months of no work. Mm -hmm. So you had to like make a lot of money in six months and save it so that you could you know, float on the other half of the year. And then they'd call you back and you would come back and do more. But they farmed out a lot of shows. And I did freelance. I, I picked up freelance from a small freelance company, uh, Love Hutton Love, which was uh, Harry Love, Ed Love, and Bill Hutton, I think. They gave out work. And they would pay like $6 a foot, which really wasn't that many drawings. So. And you could crank out a lot really quick. But the first show I worked on was with Tex Avery. And I love Tex. He's one of my favorite uh, mm -hmm. directors of all time. He was working on uh, Nino and Cave Mouse. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, the fun yeah. song comedy I show. worked on those when I first started in the field. And, you know, it was real fast, slapdash. You know, I wasn't on it very long. I'd do it for a summer and then I'd leave. And, you know, we'd watch the shows in the fall when they aired. Yeah. And then the second year I was there, I did Fonz and the Happy Days game. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, my God. It's oh, it's, yeah, but it's fun to me. Well, it has Didi Khan in it, you know. And <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it was, it was really not what I <laughs> I don't do. know. I guess it's an emotional attachment. I liked it. You know, it really is. Like I said, it's pop culture. Everybody has it. That's why I don't denigrate other people's what they like, even if I don't like it. It's where you are when you, you see it. Right. You know, what mood you're at and where you are in your head, you know, it just, I mean, I look at vintage H and B and I go, Oh, it's really not very good. But there's something I love about it because yeah, it's my childhood. It's yeah, like and it's, candy. It is it's like candy. candy it is <laughs> like a big bag of Skittles. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I worked on those shows. Then I was picking up from filmation too. And I was doing at Albert and I was doing, um, Oh, they got the rights to do Droopy and, uh, and Tom, Tom and Jerry. Jerry. Yeah. And, oh, my God, those are the worst thing I ever worked on. I'm almost embarrassed to say I worked on them. You know what bugs me about those? And I do enjoy filmation, but the music sounds like somebody just took stuff out of the utensil drawer and just slammed it on the kitchen table. I mean, it's this it's really... Because their background music helped the shows a lot. Well, I don't know... It was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a... I mean, Point added a lot to the shows, too, the kind of Barbera shows. There was a hipness to it, you know. That's right. You, you can't get much hipper than the opening titles to the Jetsons. if you Because oh. he got the very best of the best He musicians. did. Those were the top people. Uh, Pete Candoli and, and, yeah. That trumpet riff for Judy... That's in, Pete in, Candoli. Yeah, he's one of the it's top. the best. Yeah. It, it, when they redid it in stereo for the, for the second generation of, of shorts, they couldn't do it. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And Steve, Top Cat is as hip as it gets. It's like Gershwin-esque. It was you supposed know? to be, and it plays that way. And they use strings. They use a lot of strings on that, too. Yes. And it, it just, I think that show sounds really terrific. It didn't last very long, but I still find it funny. I think the writing's good in it. That's yeah. another kind of thing that isn't always understood, is that primetime animation, even then, was expansive. And actually, Steve Beverly, who's a television historian, proved this. He has the clips from the papers to say a half hour of the Flintstones was much more expensive than a live-action sitcom and certainly a game show or anything else. And it had to deliver. It had to deliver ratings, had to deliver merchandise, it had to deliver on all these different levels. And Flintstones yes. was a powerhouse. It was a tough act to follow. 
And ABC was taking the subsequent shows and giving them really tough time slots because it's like, if we're going to pay this, we're going to put the Jetsons against Dennis the Menace, Lassie, and Disney. And that, was, that was a death slot. Yeah, death so slot. it isn't that the show necessarily wasn't doing well because they proved themselves when they went to Saturday morning. I mean, Jetsons was always running. And the color was another thing that made them expensive because even That's though right. they aired in black and white, they shot them in color. Mm-hmm. They shot everything. Even Except for the commercials. Yeah, the interstitials were not in color. But Walt Disney did the same thing. The films for TV, like the Davy Crockett's and all, that was in color, in Technicolor. But the intros weren't, because they figured, well, we'll update them, and they did. And right. the same thing with Mickey Mouse Club. They really didn't expect it to run into the 70s, you know. And then on the Disney yeah. Channel, it was a, kind of a show for kids and teens. And they had to make so many of them that it was prohibitive. And ABC didn't want color, because I think... Walt Disney wanted Zorro to be in color, and they wouldn't do it. And right. they, they finally acquiesced with the Jetsons. I think that was the first. That was the did. first one. That was the first broadcast beautiful. on ABC. Good choice too, because it's a beautiful palette on that. Well, that's so. the other thing you'll you'll notice even later is like I got uh, Herculoids and Space Ghost on Blu-ray. The color styling of those shows, because we saw them on little old TVs and stuff, and right. you know. The color styling on those shows, it was, it was really looked great. They did. If somebody were to say to you, oh, Hanna-Barbera stuff, it's just, you know, it doesn't move good. And, and after so many things, it just was a factory and all. It's just, some people might say that, or you might see that online. How do you respond to that? Well, when I was younger, I would object them. <laughs> <laughs> but now, in my more mature, older age... Sometimes I'll say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. So you may not like it, but it, it is what it is. And it was very enjoyable back then, and there was nothing like it. And sometimes I just let it go, because I just think, consider the source. You know, everybody's an expert these days. You can't argue, since the internet, you can't argue. Wow. I've had people tell me what happened to me when I was at Disney. And I'd say, no, that didn't happen. They'd say, oh, yeah, it did. I'm like, uh. <laughs> I was me. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you know, my wife tells me over and over, she's don't engage, don't engage. Walt Disney went to the moon and ate cheese. No, he didn't. How do you know? You know, and then and it becomes this whole, yeah, please just delete the thread and walk away. And of course, the internet, you can make up anything. People that go on there and write facts, you know, like a history of something, and they're completely wrong. Yeah. And yeah. it's all just taken from Wikipedia and these other places that are all just a conglomeration of what people think. Mm-hmm. You really have to talk to the people. That I was very lucky because I came in when those guys were still alive and you could talk to them and learn from them. You yeah. know, That was a wonderful time. I'm really glad that I had that experience. I'm very well, thankful. What a time. I'm very thankful for all of my experiences in, in, in animation. Couldn't have, I couldn't have timed it better. I thought I'd missed it, but I didn't. <laughs> well, you know, that's funny because I was working on the East Coast in marketing and we were working in response to what you guys were doing. You know, it was the 80s and 90s and then the millennium. Uh, that whole 30 years there was truly what a cool time to be at Disney because the great films kept coming into the theaters and we would do things in the parks and we would do things through promotions. And I look back and it's like I was always grateful, always grateful and counted my blessings. But I think I'm more grateful now than ever there's nothing quite like it you know and these people will you know as they retire and get up there in years they'll look back on this time very fondly too you know it's like i said the pop culture reference i made for Hanna Barbera. it's like it's where you are at that time Mm -hmm. and that's the way it should be you know in the 1940s the 1920s were the good old days 
in the 1960s and 1940s were the good old days, you know? And, yeah. you know, now the 1980s is the good old days, you know? Yeah, you, you like what you like, and that's a wonderful, it's a wonderful gift. It's yeah. a gift. And it has been a gift to have you on our Fantastic World show, Dave Pruxma. And we want to welcome you back for future episodes to talk with your expertise about other stuff. Sure, I'd love to come back anytime because, as you can see, I'm pretty passionate about these subjects. I like giving a non-sensationalized version of what it was like for future audiences. Well, I appreciate that, and I think everybody listening appreciates that. And I appreciate everybody listening and hope that you'll join us again. But we got to go now, and for now I'll just say bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe and like, and please write a review for us if you have a moment as well. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed the fantastic world of Hannah and Barbara with Greg Airbar. Please join us again, and many thanks for listening. 